Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. I'm Amy Rojic, Director of BDO Center for Governance, and I'm so happy to have the chance to sit down with Yelena Barachev to discuss the proliferation of voluntary disclosures being produced by public companies the increasing attention by regulators and considerations for how boards are to respond in the best interests of their stakeholders. Yelena is a partner at Blank Rome and specializes in advising management and boards on corporate governance matters, along with capital market issues and M&A transactions. She's the co-lead for her firm's environmental, social, and governance, or ESG team, and she represents clients in a broad range of industries, including life sciences, information technology, manufacturing, and financial services companies. Elena serves as the president of the Association of Audit Committee Members, Inc., and serves on the Education Programs Committee for the Society for Corporate Governance. She further serves on the board of directors of the Forum of Executive Women. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Elena over the past few years and love her passion for governance and helping her clients remain abreast of emerging developments. Elena, welcome to BDO in the boardroom. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so perhaps we begin by discussing the current reporting environment that public companies find themselves in, namely the seemingly increasing need to provide more and more voluntary disclosure in public documents. Elena, in your mind, I guess, please share some of the key drivers you're seeing for this. I think voluntary disclosure is a very interesting concept, right? And I think there are a lot of different drivers for that. Obviously, the society that we live in, the um, economic climate, the political climate, the peer pressure of the companies. But before we start the conversation about voluntary disclosure, I want to make sure that we're on the same page in terms of what we mean by that. And voluntary disclosure, in my mind, falls into two clear buckets. So on the one hand, the SEC is clearly moving from uh, prescriptive disclosure to principles-based disclosure. And when you have principles-based disclosure and the SEC is only giving you the direction, sort of like where you need to go, um, obviously companies will provide what I would call voluntary disclosure and provide different color um, on that target disclosure, if you will. And then voluntary can be completely voluntary, right? So the SEC is not even suggesting that you, you should be disclosing that and the companies are still providing that voluntary, voluntary disclosure. And that second bucket, in my mind, is driven by the uh, peer pressure, obviously, because they're looking at their competitors and what they're doing. It's driven by what the stakeholders are asking for. And um, it's driven by ISS and Glass-Lewis. Yeah, let's, let's explore that for a second. I mean, the stakeholders are broadening by definition um, in, in corporate America and global corporate um, purpose. So one of the things that we hear with our clients is in in addition to the regulators that are putting some, you know, principles-based approaches toward this in response to investor protection, et cetera, we also have rating agencies. You also have, as you mentioned, proxy advisory firms. You have the largest of the large institutional investors, but you have many other kind of the folks in the capital markets that are really putting a lot of emphasis on companies to disclose more and more about their business transactions 
to your point, for the long-term value proposition that they hold. So what are your thoughts on some of the pressures around from these other stakeholder groups in terms of the voluntary disclosures being put forth? So in full disclosures, I work for the law firm that represents um, management, right? We represent companies and we hear a lot of sentiment that, for example, when ISS puts out its policies or Glass-Lewis puts out its policies or uh, major institutional investors have their own voting policies, um, sometimes it feels um, too prescriptive for companies, right? Because they are putting a lot of pressure on them to disclose certain things or take certain positions and uh, the... uh, the stick, if you will, is that we will vote against your or withhold votes from your directors and companies feel sort of like ambushed, if you will. But the flip side of that is that it's leading to better disclosure because companies start the sort of like disclosure competition, if you will, who is going to say it best, who is going to say it clearest, who is going to provide um, more descriptive and more transparent disclosure. So it's a difficult balance, right, between sort of like being really forceful in terms of what you're asking the companies to disclose, and then um, the benefit of actually better disclosure. No, I agree. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. So, so maybe we we dive a little deeper into what these disclosures are. So, we when we speak about an increase in voluntary disclosures, what are we really talking about? That is, what are the areas? that companies are most frequently focused on in their expanded communications. And I guess where the next question to tie to that would be, where are they including them publicly? So if we like, if we go back to my two buckets, right? So if we talk about principles-based disclosure, so last year um, the business section was revamped, the MDNA was revamped and moving more and more towards um, principles-based disclosure. And when you open up the uh, the documents now, it's more interesting to read them because instead of the, I don't know, rigid contractual table, contractual obligations table, companies are now either tweaking that table or providing narrative disclosure and becomes more interesting to read the uh, to read the MDNA. And obviously that's the, the, the items that I mentioned are 10K items. And 10K in general has always been more of a financial document. But if we move to the proxy statement, in my mind, it's shifting more um, to the messaging document, to the communication document on your governance and on your government's achievements and stance and, and stance, if you will. So um, in the proxy statement, we can see the proliferation of more purely voluntary disclosure, right? So companies are, and it ranges in many different areas. So companies now include letters from their uh, chief executive officer, from their board of directors, sometimes from their lead director to, to reach out to the stockholders and sort of like message what the company is all um, about. Or they include summaries that um, provide a glimpse of their efforts in um, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. There is no line in the in Regulation 14A that requires any of that, but they're doing that to make sure that the, um, the stakeholders understand where they stand on these important societal um, issues. Now, that's a good point. And one of it was interesting. I just featured on one of our programs um, a member of Glass Lewis. And one of her thoughts around where companies are putting information is she's warning companies that if you're relying on the proxy to, to put forth that information, in her mind, she had iterated that this is that was more of a point in time document that 
you know, putting it elsewhere, putting similar thoughts, because that may be kind of in the rearview mirror as, you know, from the perspective of a proxy advisor, that they, you know, that they would be looking for other areas where that information may be sitting and not referring back to the proxy. So it's interesting to try to find that balance. But Yelena, go ahead. Now, I just want to say, like, it's, it's an interesting thought, right? But all disclosure is sort of like a rear view mirror. Like, if you think about that, so 10K is a look back at the year. Qs are a look back at the quarter. So even if you put that disclosure in um, in these reports, right, uh, it's still a rear view mirror. In my mind, when I look at the proxy statement, I think it's a combination of the um, report, if you will, about the uh, executive compensation and governance for the past year, but it also shows where the company is going with all that. And that's, again, that's voluntary disclosure. Because when they are showing the statistics and show, for example, their stand on the uh, DNI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, once they've said that once in the proxy statement, they will have to repeat that disclosure. At least that's the advice that we give to our clients, right? You can't just pick this year that this is going to be my DNI, DUI year, uh, DEI year. <laughs> And then the next year, I'm not going to talk about that. So once you've decided that you're doing that, you're doing that every year. So I think that I, I hear what she's saying, but it's an interesting point of view. I think I still think that the proxy statement is probably the better, the better place for them. Now that, that and it's important to understand that because I think that's where a lot of our clients are grappling with. So where do I? Where can I do the, my best for ourselves? And where do I put all this information? Should it be? on our website? Should it be in the 10K? Should it be in the proxy? And the answer is it really depends. Like where, where, where are you, where are your stakeholders looking for this information and how are they, how are they accessing it? Right? Well, I feel that, um, so I think that you're right that they're looking at it in multiple places, right? So for example, even with the, um, even with some of the disclosures that we talked about in the proxy statement, now you have to talk about them in the business section because you have a subsection for human capital management. But I feel that the, um, you know, like how the SEC is moving from uh, give us disclosure and then give us a summary of that disclosure because the, the background disclosure has grown so um, deep, if you will, and it has become so complex that you need a summary of that. The same way I look at the website. So I think it's a glimpse, right? You're providing sort of like highlights and then more substantive information will be in your SEC documents. So if you want in your investor relations webpage, to give like high level glimpse of what of the most important metrics or factors that you're discuss, uh, discussing in your proxy statement or 10K, absolutely do that, but then refer people back to the uh, to the underlying documents. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, that's another perhaps, and I'd like your thought on this, a cautionary uh, tale that you need to be consistent, right in, right, in your documentation. So wherever it is, wherever it's living, it needs to, you know, jive with where else it, it might be sitting. So so I think when we're when we're talking about all of these issues um, and the relevance of them, you know, there's a lot going on with the new administration. So we'd be remiss not to right. not to address that. So while it's still early in the establishment of President Biden's administration, there are significant signals being made with respect to the type of disclosure regime that the SEC is putting forth under prior acting chair Lee and now Senate approved incoming chairman Gensler, particularly around ESG matters with respect to climate change and as you mentioned, human capital management. So given your ESG role and experience with your clients, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the evolving regulatory environment with respect to ESG disclosure. 
So I think that, uh, I, first of all, I welcome the NCC's focus on ESG. I think the, um, the proof is in the pudding, right? What kind of regulations will come out? And there is a lot of conversation about that. So is it going to be more on the uh, um, guidance side, right? So we have an 11-year-old um, guidance release on climate change, and um, a lot of people expect that it will be sort of like dusted off and maybe brushed up for the, for the new um, decade. Um, whether there will be formalized rules, which will become part of the SK, and uh, people will have to comply with them either in the 10K or 10Q reports, um, that's a different story, right? Because it requires a completely different involvement from the SEC. You have to come up with a proposed release, a solicit comments, then final release. So it's a longer time frame. So if they want a quicker action, obviously the guidance release is much easier to, um, to put out. And a lot of people now, especially in the age of voluntary disclosure, once the SEC puts out a guidance release, they feel it's like part of the SK and everybody complies with that. So they may get to the same point without a formal rule. Uh, a lot of people fear sort of like rigid regulation, if you will, uh, because they don't know what, what it would look like. And they are, they are concerned that the SEC would say, you know, you have to achieve a certain metric on climate change. And that will be obviously um, very difficult. So we'll see how it develops. But the, the focus on these issues is welcome. I think it's a, it's a great development. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there, Yelena. And I, and I think, you know, what's, what's also behind this and driving it is obviously that there's not, there's not a formalized set of standards for, for doing this. In right. you know consistently across companies, so I think that that obviously creates a significant challenge for the SEC in, in trying to produce rulemaking around that. But the rulemaking and focus on that creates a very interesting dynamic. So yesterday we actually um, did a pitch for a private company. It's a large private company. Um, it is family-owned private company, so they have no pressure from the um, institutional shareholders to give any disclosures on ESG matters. And yet, um, family members, sort of like the younger generation of family members who hear about ESG, are telling management, "We want to know where you stand and what you're doing on that um, on that point." So, um, as usual, private companies often adopt the best practices for public companies. It's sort of like trickling down, if you will. And ESG is no different in that sense. So, uh, the fact that the <coughs> that the government, that the commission, is focused on that issue. It's like a wake-up call, not only for public companies, but also for sizable private companies. No, absolutely, absolutely agree on that. All right, so I wanted to hit on some of the pitfalls that boards need to be wary of when discussing the expansion of disclosures with management. So maybe you can highlight some of the more significant risk areas in that regard for boards to be considered of. So when you provide um, voluntary disclosure, no matter whether it's principles-based or and sort of like uh, requested by the SEC or purely voluntary, controls and procedures become trickier, right? Because um, it's a very different um, set of um, analysis if you say, okay, the um, regulation SK item 402 says that uh, executive salary should be in this column or the bonus should be in that column. We put it in these columns, we comply, check mark. When you are given direction, please provide material information for your business or the information that's material for your um, financial condition and results of operations, period. And like that's like a blank page that you're supposed to fill in. Uh, what do you write there? So I think that uh, controls and procedures need to be um, very carefully thought through in this environment. Like what, what are we really doing? Like what is the control um, environment? 
who is going to be responsible for identifying what's material, what's not material for our company. So I think that the work of the disclosure committee becomes, quite frankly, more difficult, but at the same time, more interesting because they have this sort of like ability to tell the story of their um, company, not necessarily fitting it into the buckets of certain um, uh, columns in the table. No, good, good point. And and I and I see that function. You know, you mentioned the disclosure committee, but many boards, you know, they find that material ESG considerations cut across different committees of the board. So whether you have human capital management sitting with, you know, the the compensation committee, or if it crosses over into the non-gov committee with respect to, you know, CEO succession and board succession, or of course, the audit committee, who's truly responsible for public company financial statement reporting, you know, how does that, how do you see that function? So I think that, and we talked to a number of, uh, to a number of companies who are going through that um, planning, if you will, like how do we approach ESG? And uh, different companies take a different approach. And I don't think there is a right and wrong approach, right? You have to evaluate what's, what works for your company and you have to evaluate the, the existing composition of your committees. So some companies are saying, you know, um, ESG is, is essentially um, a risk management function. So we will leave it with the audit committee because that's the committee that's focused on our risk management. Some companies say we're going to um, oversee at the full board level. We're not going to delegate it down to any committees. And some committees divide and conquer, if you will, right? So some elements of ESG are with the audit committee. As you mentioned, some elements are with the um, compensation Committee for Human Capital Management Matters and Governance is with the Nominating Gov Committee. And and every approach is right as long as it works for you. Agree. So so the key message there being it's not a one-size-fits-all. You have to do what makes sense with the composition of your board, with the quality of your management team, etc. So Absolutely. yeah, I, I agree with that. And and that's that obviously goes well beyond ESG considerations as well. That just makes sense in, in general. Of course. So, Elena, are there any other areas that we haven't touched on that you want to highlight for our governance audience today? Well, I think I would go back to the uh, um, to the controls and procedures because I think it is so important. The controls and procedures are sort of like the uh, the core that drives the um, that drives the disclosure, and we see it a lot in the ESG area, and it sort of like touches upon what's voluntary, what's not voluntary. So. Um, the companies are thinking about putting out these ESG reports, which again are voluntary, right? You're not required by the SEC rules, at least so far, um, to do that. And then it sort of like falls off the uh, the cliff, and uh, they're surprised when we tell them, you know, you still have to comply with the with Rule 10b5. They're subject to Rule 10b5, so you need to be really focused on the information that you put in there. And the SEC, by the way, created um, the uh, enforcement task force on focused on climate and ESG disclosures. So. I think that the controls that you put around your voluntary disclosure, no matter in which bucket it falls, are extremely, extremely important. Yeah, I, I agree. And then I think, you know, the same case, I, I, we see the same types of conversations that relate to non-GAAP translating <laughs> over into this other area of kind of non-financial yes, reporting. If you will. So, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I really want to thank you for joining me today. And uh Thank you to our audience for tuning in and stay tuned for more episodes and remember to like us on Spotify and iTunes. So have a great day and remain informed. Amy, thank you for a wonderful conversation. You're welcome. Happy to have you back anytime. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. 
Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.